Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness or righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek the glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jews first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. This is out of Romans 2, where we're continuing today. Um, Welcome to the podcast. As we look at the beginning of this text, we, we see the word therefore, which there's that classic saying, when we see the word therefore, we have to see what it's there for, right? We have to look at the the verses preceding it. And last time we were together, we talked about God's wrath on the unrighteous. And really it talks about the depravity of man and how the world, air quotes, the world has fallen short of the glory of God, how all of humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. And he's addressing a certain person, but I mean, in reality, we all fall into that category at some point in our lives, but now he's turning to look at those who are, air quotes again, religious, those who rely and lean on their good deeds so much so that they look around to others and point the finger at others. And on this episode, as well as next week, we're going to work our way through Romans 2 and talk about this idea of, of being so proud and self-righteous that you point the finger at others and how that's sometimes misinterpreted within the church. And there's a huge sort of back and forth within church culture about whether we are supposed to judge or not judge. Now, is this scripture necessarily about that? No, 
what what Paul is doing is he's saying there is no one who does not qualify for the great need of God's love and grace through Jesus Christ that that no one skates by and can can be righteous or or be holy without Jesus Christ and that is the point he's making and we're we're going to work our way through that but before we get there knowing that that he has talked about a certain group of people that are committing acts that are that are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness who have the wrath of God remaining on them or as we talked about last time abiding on them still he's now talking about those who who feel like they have entered into his righteousness or somehow have attained some sort of righteousness through religion through tradition through the things that they do and this is a little bit of a back and forth all throughout, not not a little bit, a lot of bit in in the New Testament. We see works. Uh, are we justified by our works or by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is faith, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So with that said, we need to define today this idea of judgment as he enters in and says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. So he's automatically honing in on this idea of judgment. And this is an action that flows from the heart, right? When we feel like we can judge others, it means we feel like we are qualified to judge another. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because the judge... Because you, the judge, practice ever practice the very same things. So he's even in this opening statement, Paul is saying, "You who point the finger need to turn that finger around and point it at yourself." And I think this is very timely, very, very timely, because we live in a culture that is very critical, very, very critical of one another. And because of that, and it's not just our time, like it's not because of a COVID pandemic, it's not because of mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, it's not because of our politics right now, it's because we have this heart posture of criticism and anyone who does not hold the same viewpoints or opinions, uh, we automatically pass judgment on them. Like like it's sealed, we, we pass this judgment and we put them in this category or this box in our mind and in our heart where we push them away. We throw them in this box and push the box away. Uh, hopefully that, that really uh, gives an image of sort of what we do in our minds and our hearts. So it's really important that we define what this judgment is, what this judgment is. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So we see that that humans are practicing judgment, but but then we also see that God rightly judges those who practice such things. So what is judgment and and why do we hear some people within the church say we are called to judge. We are asked to judge by scripture that we're supposed to judge others. And there's another group of, of people within the church, those who believe in Jesus Christ, who walk in the way of Jesus, who have put their faith and trust in the works 
in the work and person of Jesus, that he lived perfectly, that he died horrifically and humiliated, and and he died on the cross and went into the grave and he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, took our punishment, and he rose from the grave uh, in the life that he created us to live. He made a way, that's why he calls himself the way, for us to live. All of those who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, we can be divided in these things. And one of the ways that we get divided in scripture is we say, yes, we're, we're, we are allowed to judge, we can judge, we're supposed to judge. And another group of people who are like, man, we're, we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge. And I would say both sides are right. I think the terms are misdefined. But maybe some of those who say, yes, we are supposed to judge, would read out of uh, 1 Corinthians 4, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, it says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one of you will receive his condemnation from God, right? So we see God's judgment, but we also see Paul's talking about talking to people. He's written a letter to the church in Corinth saying, do not pronounce judgment before the time, which many think, oh, so he's saying we're supposed to judge, just don't judge before the time. Like your timing is essential. And and they'll preach this, that, that as long as our timing's right, there's that key word, as long as our timing is right, then we can judge. But in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, we, we read this. If we put the whole scripture in context, we read this. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, it says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Man, if that doesn't give you the chills, uh, it's so good. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's putting down, I don't care if you guys judge me or by any human court or by any human court. So the judgment of man, he's saying, I don't hold value in the judgment of man. In fact, I do not even judge myself. He doesn't trust himself to judge himself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So right before this verse that, that people will use to say, no, 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 we're supposed to judge, is actually Paul saying, I don't judge. I don't care if you judge me because it is the Lord who judges. It is the Lord who judges. He hands those keys over to God. He hands that power and that authority over to God and says, God, I'm unworthy and unqualified to wield this. Which brings up an interesting point. I want you to think about this because he brought up human court, right? He brought up human court. Now, if you look at a courtroom scene, right, we've got a jury, right? In some cases, we've got a jury. We've got a, we've got 
the person who is being tried, right? They've they've committed some sort of a crime and they're deciding whether this person is guilty or innocent. There is a prosecutor. Um, there is a defendant. There are witnesses. There's this whole process, right? But there's one person who makes the call ultimately, right? There's one person who makes the call and that's the judge. That's the judge. In I, This is outside of Bible. This is just in the United States of America, right? This is in the United States of America. These are the qualifications for a judge. You have to have a undergrad degree, which let's put a timestamp on it. You can get an undergrad degree depending on how intense you hit schooling and how much you want to ruin your quality of life uh, for a season of time. I'm not saying that's good or bad, um, but some people just hit school hard just to get it done with. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But depending, like it's, I'm being generous, maybe two to four years to get an undergrad. Um, I would say more to three, closer to the four year mark, right? To get an undergrad. Um, But I know there are some programs that are very intense and can get you through it sooner. So we've got like a three to four year timestamp, right? And then you have to take what's called the LSAT, which is a very intense test that qualifies you to get into law school, right? And then you go into another season of school. If you get accepted, you go into another season of school that where you get your Juris Doctor. So it's basically a, a, a law degree, right? It's called your Juris Doctor. And that will take from anywhere from three to five years, right? Depending on your intensity of how you, you approach it, right? So we're already up to like possibly eight years of schooling, right? And then you have to take this exam called the bar exam, which is known, it is renowned for being very difficult because it's testing your ability to um, your ability to navigate law. And there's a lot of law out there, right? Um, and not just the bar, but you have to also take a an exam uh, there's one I'm missing, an exam that's sort of like a state. Um, here, let me look at it here. I had it pulled up earlier. Uh, there it is. Um, this one just says the bar exam. But I, I know some lawyers have to, and I think this is a qualification to be a lawyer, right? You have to take a test that's that's specific to your state um, where, where y- you qualify for um, being able to practice there. Right. So, so we've got two exams, um, two very intense exams. Then we've got, um, or I guess three exams. Two of them are, are known for being very intense. You've got, uh, like six year, six to eight years, possibly nine years of schooling. And then before you become a judge, you have to have practiced law for at least two years at least two years before you are elected. So that's not even a guarantee that you will be a judge. Those are the qualifications for a judge, for a judge um, in the United States of America. Um, Pretty intense, right? So if you're looking to be a judge, that's that's the road that you're facing. Because of that, they say, hey, if you want to be a lawyer, just a lawyer, you got to start early in life. You can't start too late. Um, but to be a judge, that's even more so because you have to go through those extra hoops, right? Um, you have to go through the two years of practice. 
um, and, and be elected. So um, anyway, so those are the qualifications of a judge to be a judge in the United States of America. And, and even with that, your judgment cannot be passed. Like you can't just walk into the room and, and decide, hey, this person is guilty or innocent. There is a large process that goes in, right? There's witnesses, there's evidence, there's all of this that needs to be presented. So I want that in the back of our minds as we're, we're going through these scriptures. So then we've got John 7, right? Where we see some, some bring this up, hey, we are called to ju- judge. Jesus just qualifies it. Now, this is throwing out, next, next time we're together, we're going to talk through uh, uh, Matthew 7, right? Um, where Jesus says, do not judge, otherwise you will be judged. Um, but here in John 7, he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Key word there being right judgment. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, what is the context of this verse? We see Jesus had just healed a man um, and he was being um, accused by a group of religious leaders of working on the Sabbath, right? So something, he, he had a few altercations with the uh, Jewish leaders or those who knew the law so well um, where this happened. And it says, Jesus answered them, I, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the father and, or, but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So within context, he is, he's issuing a call out, right? He's saying, he's saying, you guys are not thinking clearly. You are not judging rightly. This is a call out. This is not permission to judge. This is not permission to judge. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now this, this goes, brings us back to the courtroom, right? You have to have teams of people digging up evidence, talking to police officers, uh, talking to witnesses to drum up some kind of evidence. God, when it comes to biblical uh, justice, right? You are not omniscient. You are not omnipotent. You are not omnipresent. You are not, you don't have all of the attributes of God infinitely. Um, So why do we think that we can judge that we can just come up with the evidence based off of like one thing that we see and say that we can judge another person, that we can judge another person. Hopefully this is piecing together for you things to consider. Also, we look at that word right with right judgment. We see in Psalms 14, which uh, Paul is about to quote in Romans 3, but we're not quite there yet. In Psalm 14, it says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. 
There is none who does good. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. If there are any who understands, who seek after God. They have all turned aside, all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. There is none who does good, not even one. So we see from this, do not judge by appearances. This is back in in John 7, right? Verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. If we consider Psalm 14, we have zero ability to know what right is. He says he looks down from heaven and there is none who does good, not one. So how how do we see it in our minds and in our hearts that we can judge rightly, that we can judge rightly? That, that's a question I want you to think about. So then we see, again, people use these scriptures to say, hey, we actually are supposed to judge. Um, we're we're supposed to judge a certain way, but we are supposed to judge. It says in Isaiah 5, this is one that would would uh, back that up. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So there's this idea of judging between good and evil. Like we need to know the difference between good and evil. And he takes it as far as dark and light and bitter and sweet. And then we see in Proverbs, it says, Proverbs 17, verse 15, it says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike in abominations to the Lord. So those who justify the wicked and condemn the righteous, they both are abominations to the Lord. That's pretty strong language, right? Now, here here is what I'm going to bring up. We as the church sometimes get a little confused with our terminology, right? I in preparing for this, I listened to a lot of different teachers who were teaching both sides and a lot of teachers use this idea of judgment and this little word, maybe you've heard of it, called discernment interchangeably, interchangeably. Judgment and discernment interchangeably. Now, judgment and discernment are clearly two different things, clearly two different things. So judgment I'm going to pull this up. Uh, I'm just looking on Blue Letter Bible, which is a great uh, little resource if you are a uh, Bible studier. Um, this is this is an easy way. There are a lot of different ways that you can go back and look at the ancient languages and what they mean, but this is super easy. It's an app. I don't work for them, um, but I just love it. So if we look at the word discernment, like from Matthew 7, what I brought up, or uh, so we're going to look at the word judge. No, let's look at discernment first. So if we look at the word discernment, right? Uh, I'm going to go to the scripture that I'm going to go to in just a moment, uh, which is Hebrews 14. Or no, Hebrews 5, verse 14. Hebrews 5, verse 14. 
it talks about discernment. So I'm going to go to this Greek word for discernment. Um, here, the it, it's diak, and maybe you can hear this. Um, I don't know if you could hear that, but it even pronounces the words for you. So diakrisis is the word for discernment. Um, really cool app. I suggest you use it if you if you uh, are a Bible student, which we all should be. Um, so just use it. Um, it says that the outline of the biblical usage, right, of this word discernment, it defines it as distinguishing, so distinguishing from one, between one thing and another, uh, discerning, discerning between one thing or another, and then it does have that word judging in there, judging between one thing or another. So discernment, right? So it's the 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 process of judgment, right? That you're deciding between two things, you're distinguishing between two things, you're discerning between two things, right? But then we go to a text like uh, Matthew 7, where Jesus is talking about judgment, right? Uh, Matthew 7, it is right at the beginning, verse 1, where he says, judge not. He says, judge not. So if we go to this word, uh, judge, it says, krino, krino, right? And what it says here as the outline of the biblical usages, right? Which is where we draw the definition from. It's to separate or put asunder, to pick out, to select, right? To approve, esteem, or prefer, to approve, esteem, or prefer. We see opinion, deem, think, to be of opinion. Now now this gets a lot more, a lot more harsh. To determine resolve or decree to determine resolve or decree to judge which then it breaks down to um pronounce an opinion pronounce an opinion so this is drawing a conclusion to pronounce judgment to sub to a subject um to rule to govern so we we see contend together of warriors and combatants. So there's this there's this finality to this word judgment, right? Whereas discerning has the word judging in there. So it's like the process of judgment, right? It's discernment would be used in the process of judgment, but judgment is the final call. It's the decree. It's the pronouncement. It's do not solidify your thoughts and opinions of someone else. And I think if we look at it from this way, uh, we see that discernment is something we're called to do. We go back to all these verses, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike and abominations to the Lord. So those who justify the wicked aren't discerning what is wicked and what is righteous. They're not discerning between the two, so they're shirking their responsibility. Um, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, darkness, light, or light, darkness. You're not discerning between the two. You're not noticing or seeing between the two, right? And they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. And there is none who does good, not 
even one. So this comes back to that idea of right judgment, right? So because you are unqualified to discern between good and evil, and this is this is of course pre-cross. So but judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. So in order to get there, you have to discern what is right and what is wrong. So that scripture I was talking about in this idea of discernment, right? Or the the concept behind this this thing called discernment. We see Hebrews 5, he's talking about milk and solid food. And maybe you've heard about this concept before uh, within church culture. But in Hebrews 5, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, so you ought to have gotten to the point where you're teaching others, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God, right? Now, now Paul... I believe it's Paul. Yes, Paul uh, paints this picture, right? You need milk. You need milk, not solid food. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature For those who have their powers of discernment trained, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So a lot of times I bring this up because we see a process in this picture that's drawn, right? There's, you are not ready, even though you should be teachers, you need milk and not solid food. And I believe this is very important. There's this process of, hey, you need to train discernment. You need to constantly practice distinguishing between good and evil. But so many times, and I see this, this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to lean into this uh, today and define this before we dig into um how we practically apply this in Romans 2. There are things called discernment ministries out there. And I'm not saying discernment ministries are bad. Um, But over the last few years with YouTube being popular and you've got a lot of people on YouTube and I want to caution you and, and be very, very careful because there's a lot of people on YouTube who who basically take bits of information that they hear, basically Christian news about Christian churches, and yes, they are discerning what is going on there, but essentially what they're doing is they're passing judgment on a uh, leader within within the church, uh, a prominent pastor, uh, a community, uh, (laughs) and it's based off of probably one or two things that they're doing and it creates this divide. Usually they end what they're saying. um, And this is actually where we're going to pick up uh, next time. They end what they're saying with, you shouldn't have anything to do with that church. You shouldn't have anything to do with that church. So that goes from discernment to then judgment. 
Do you see the difference between the two? So you're discerning between, there's a difference between saying, hey, I would be careful because this prominent pastor um, said this, you should bring that to scripture and seek it out with, open up the word. Um, and like the Bereans, right? You, you filter it through scripture and you ask the Holy Spirit to continue to illuminate, as it says in second Corinthians, that we need the spirit to discern spiritual things. Would you help me to discern these things? We say, we completely write those leaders off. We completely write those leaders off. But what we see here is this process of going from needing milk to solid food, which to me, as one who studies scripture a lot, I'm like, man, yeah, I need more of that process. I, I need to hone in my powers of discernment and train them. And I need constant practice practice because the more I, I, I walk with people in life and, and try to point people to Jesus in the midst of hard, complicated situations, I realize more and more that I know so little. I know so little. And who am I to judge um, that person? And, and this really leads into, I, I want to challenge you if you're one who, who immediately looks at somebody and based off of what they're doing, their lifestyle, um, you can discern whether that's good or bad. And again, next time we're going to talk about the practicality of how we walk through that with somebody who is clearly sinning in their life and you are using discernment to know whether that is good or, or evil, right? Um, there's a process that we can take in love and process with them. But to go back to Romans 2, where Paul has taken those who point the finger and turn the finger around on themselves, we've talked about the qualifications of a judge in the United States of America, pretty high qualifications. I want to read to you the qualifications of a uh, heavenly judge, one who judges in the kingdom of heaven. This is out of John chapter five. And I just want to read this to you um, because these are the qualifications of a, of a judge in the kingdom of heaven, in God's kingdom. This is coming on the tale of Jesus healed, uh, healed a man at the pool of, um, the pool of, Oh, the sheep gate, the pool at the sheep, sheep gate. And so he, he told the guy who was having trouble getting into the water. Obviously there was something odd going on with the water there, but he told him to get up and walk that he didn't even need the water. And the guy was healed. And of course this was on the Sabbath once again. And Jesus is saying to those who are questioning him for, um, healing this man on the Sabbath, he says, truly, Truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he, whom he will. For the father judges no one. The father 
judges no one. Listen to this. Out of God the Father, who wills it all, God the Son, who carries out the will of the Father, um, and the Holy Spirit, the delight between the two, it says, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So we see this clearly defined who the one who holds all judgment has been given all judgment by the Father, all judgment. And maybe some of you are thinking, yes, but we were talking about and we will continue to talk about imputed righteousness, that when I put my faith and trust in in the perfect life and the horrific death of Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross, defeating sin and death, and he rose again, providing new life, the life that he created us to live, that when we put our faith and our trust in him, that he imputes righteousness to us, that there is none who are right. Going back to that, I do have righteousness, so I do know how to rightly judge. It says all judgment has been given to the son. And I'd love to see a scripture where somebody shows me that the son has imputed judgment to us, has given us judgment. He has given us righteousness so that we may live in the way and in the life that God has created us for, but he has not given us judgment over others. He has given us discernment to see good and evil so that we can come alongside our brothers and walk them to Jesus. The great commission was go out into all the nations because all authority and power was given to Jesus. Go out into all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and make disciples, introduce them to Jesus. We are to discern good from evil. Yes, but we're not the judge. We don't decide. One who was judge, jury, and executioner of of, um, Christians back then who saw himself as judge, jury, and executioner, who did not have a voice that could speak to the dead, who was not given all judgment by God, who was not given all authority by God to execute judgment, who thought himself a judge. His name was Saul. His name was Saul. And as the martyr Stephen stood there at the Sanhedrin and he preached this amazing sermon, he was taken outside 
and he was stoned to death. And it was okay in the eyes of Saul. It was okay in the eyes of Saul. I want to read to you what, what um, Saul turned Paul when Jesus, out of mercy, claimed his life. What happened to this man, Saul? He became the apostle Paul, and he writes this uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful. He judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. In other translations, it says, I am the chief of sinners, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see he's, he's not coming out saying, now I have the power to judge others. He is basking in the mercy and the grace and the love of God that he sees he is humbled by the judgment of God. He starts off and he says, I deserved judgment. I deserved, just like we all deserve judgment. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, but, but God, as it says in Ephesians 2, intervened and saved him and judged him as faithful and appointed him to a service. Because despite popular belief, it actually says in scripture, this is in 2 Peter, it says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This, I'm going to close on this. We see in Romans, and again, we're going to continue to unpack this, but Paul asks in verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Are we called to be judges and to judge people? No, we're not called to judge people. We're called to bring the message, the good news of Jesus Christ to people, to discern between good and evil and bring Jesus into it, to bring love into it. And we're going to talk about the practicality of how we do that, how we, we ride this, this line and balance on this line where we are not judging, but we are discerning. We're going to talk about that next time together. But I want to encourage you, 
if you are one who goes out and looks at other Christians or other people out there and you are quick to judge, not considering their upbringing, not considering uh, maybe the things that they are going through internally. Um, And I want to remind you, you don't have a voice to bring dead to life. Jesus does because he brought you to life. You need to point that finger around to yourself and bask in the mercy and love of Jesus Christ and be humbled by the fact that he is judge and not you. You need to practice your discernment. You need to be patient and train your discernment. You are called to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into people's hard situations where, yes, there may be evil but you are called to bring the message of the one who is good and righteous and the one who has given you righteousness, but not judgment. I pray that this is a blessing to you, that this challenges you. Would you meditate on this? Would you steep in this this week as we approach the rest of Romans 2? I'm excited to get into it. God, would you just um, let the roots of this, of your scripture, um, come from the seed of your word um, and, and just find good soil, find good soil. Would you prepare our hearts as we continue through um, this amazing letter that um, was inspired by you and written by your servant, Paul? Um, would you help us all to meditate on this and to be bold in discernment, but remember that we are not the judge, that you are our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking forward to being with you uh, in our next episode. Uh, Have a great week, and we'll talk to you in the next one. Looking forward to it.